So if you were with us last week, you might remember how we saw Luke chapter 20 open up with a confrontation between the religious leaders of Israel and Jesus about authority. And as we continue in this chapter, we're going to see that this chapter really is built around confrontations with the religious leaders of Israel. Each of these will find end with them in stunned silence as Jesus repeatedly reveals his marvelous wisdom and authority. And yet they fail to recognize what it meant about Jesus. And so as we step back and we look at this chapter now ourselves, we don't want to fail like they did. We want to look at it to see each of these scenes with the goal of recognizing who Jesus is, what they reveal about him and his call on our lives as a result of who he is. Today's passage is Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. And like last week's passage, it has a question posed to Jesus with ill intentions. Yet what we'll find today is this time, instead of denying to answer and giving a parable to convict, Jesus responds and answers with piercing clarity. Now I want to start by suggesting to you that this passage though is rather interesting because while we have a teaching presented In this passage, what I believe the main point Luke wants us to see is not found in the teaching itself, but found in what the overall scene reveals about who Jesus is. This doesn't mean we don't engage in the teaching, but we seek to understand both aspects of the passage, starting with the main point that Luke wants us to see. And I think if we do this, it'll help us to place the proper weight on the teaching that we find in here, avoiding pitfalls that come from overanalyzing it. So what I want to do today is work through our passage in two ways. First, observing the whole scene so that we can discover what Luke is wanting us to see about Jesus. And then we'll examine what we can take away from the teaching that we find in this passage. So if you will, turn in your Bibles and read together with me Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. And if you've been with us for some time in our home groups, I want to encourage you to look for the clues that Luke gives to us to show us the main point that he has for us. Luke chapter 20, verses 19 to 26. The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them, but they feared the people. So they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere, that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. So they asked him, Teacher, we know that you speak and teach rightly and show no partiality, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? But he, Jesus, perceived their craftiness and said to them, Show me a denarius, whose likeness and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's. 
He said to them, Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were not able in the presence of the people to catch him in what he said, but marveling at his answer, they became silent. I just love this scene in Luke's gospel. And when we focus on the details that Luke gives to us and its place within this gospel, what I believe we'll see is Jesus' perfect wisdom to go as it has been determined. Now, why do I say this and what do I mean? Well, if you remember, as we've seen, Luke's gospel is built around Jesus' resolute journey to Jerusalem which began after he foretold that his betrayal and death would take place there. Listen again to what Jesus said right before he set his face to go to Jerusalem in Luke chapter 9, verses 22 and 44. He says to his disciples, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Verse 44 of chapter 9. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. So we see that as Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem, he knows that he will be rejected by the religious leaders and he will be delivered into the hands of men, killed and rise again. But what we need to understand is that Jesus doesn't just know this will happen at some point in time in Jerusalem. He knows the precise time it will happen and the precise way that it will happen. Turn with me a couple pages to Luke 22 verses 21 and 22 to see this with me clearly. It's the night of Jesus' betrayal, and after he institutes the Lord's Supper, or communion as we commonly refer to it, this is what he says. He says, But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. Notice verse 22. For, or because, the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. But woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Church, we need to see that there is a way in which it had been determined for the Son of Man to go. A title that Jesus commonly uses for himself. The actions and the events that we see taking place in these next few chapters are not by coincidence. It has been determined for them to go down this way. And I think Luke in particular wants us to see this through his writing. In fact, if you don't know this, Luke writes a second letter to Theophilus, who is the original recipient of this gospel that we're reading. That letter is known as the book of Acts. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, he records Peter saying this, This Jesus delivered up, According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see, Luke 
wants us to understand as the readers of his gospel and the following book of Acts that Jesus would be delivered to the governing authorities according to the definite plan of God. But as we will see, it won't be by being trapped by these leaders. It will be with Jesus innocent of all charges as the sacrificial Lamb of God for our sins. So what I want to encourage you to pay attention to over these next several weeks as we close out this gospel is how we see over and over again how God is in complete control of everything that happened to Jesus. And Jesus, as God in the flesh, exercises perfect wisdom to ensure everything goes as it has been determined. And we begin to see this in our passage as we marvel at the wisdom of Jesus to avoid the trap set for him by these leaders. Look at how Luke highlights this for us. First, he places emphasis on the leaders' desires to trap Jesus in verses 19 to 20. Let me read those for us again. He says, The scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on him at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against him, but they feared the people. So they, sent the, so they watched him and sent spies who pretended to be sincere that they might catch him in something he said, so as to deliver him up to the authority and jurisdiction of the governor. They are upset at the conclusion of the parable because they know it's against them. But they fear the people around them so they can't grab Jesus. They can't lay their hands on him to do him harm themselves. And just as a side note, do you see the deception of their sin? They fully comprehended the point of the parable. They knew its warning, and yet instead of repenting, their sin leads them to dig deeper and to have Jesus be harmed. And in verse 20, we read in vivid description by Luke. Do you see how much time he spends on describing their desires? They send spies, pretending to be sincere or righteous in some translations in order to catch Jesus in something that he said. They wanted to trick him. They wanted to find something to accuse him of that would allow them to hand, him over, hand Jesus over to the authorities. They couldn't seize him themselves because they feared the people. But if they could cause Jesus to say something against Rome, they could deliver him to Rome to do their dirty work. You see the emphasis that Luke is placing on this desire here? Because it influences what we see happen next in verse 21. Because as you look there, I want to make sure you're not mistaken. We know they don't believe what they're saying in this verse. Because Luke has shown us their desire to trap Jesus. What they are doing here is using flattery to try to take Jesus off guard. I loved how one commentator likened it to sprays of perfume. Teacher, we know you only speak truth. Puff. You smell that? And you never play favorites. Puff, puff. 
Take it in. Take it in. You show us the true way of God. Puff, puff, puff. Don't you love that? You see, it's just flattery, though. It's completely insincere. And you can smell the stench of it a mile away. Yet what is ironic here is that their flattery was completely true. Jesus always speaks and teaches rightly. He never shows partiality to anyone. Who else do you know like that? He always perfectly relays the way of God in truth. Had their hearts not been so hard, they would have seen this and they would have turned from their ways, but it's just flattery. So let me ask you, are you consistently seeing and responding to the teaching of Jesus as truth from God? Or does your sin tempt you to say, oh, that's not what he said? But we see next in our passage is how they set a trap with a calculated question in verse 22. Look closely at the question. They say, is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Now, historical context is helpful here. The tribute referred to is a poll tax. It was a flat tax of one denarius paid by men and women subject to Caesar as their conqueror. It also had to be paid with the denarius. And those who refused to pay it were considered rebellious. The Jews at this time objected to this tax for two reasons. First, because it was a sign of their subjection to a foreign power. And second, because the denarius had the emperor's likeness on it and a description which read, Tiberius Caesar son of divine Augustus, laying claim to deity. And it was Roman law even to worship the emperor as God. So most Jews then considered the coin itself to be idolatrous. We need to see the question is not about the legality of tax. Was it legal for Caesar to impose this? The question that they are trying to trap Jesus with is whether Jews were permitted to do so with the implication of what the tax and the coin itself signified the emperor as. So do you see how they're trying to catch Jesus? If he said it was not lawful to give the tribute, he would receive capital punishment as an insurrectionist against Rome. But if he said it was, the Jews would turn on him because of their disdain of it. And our passage then hinges on verse 23 and how Jesus, look at what it says, perceived their craftiness. The word but is a crucial word of contrast for us as it signals this is the resolution to the problem Jesus was facing. Jesus, in his perfect wisdom and knowledge, sees straight through their trap and he answers with precise truth. And we're going to focus more on the answer a little later. For now, my encouragement is just to marvel at the wisdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Just take time 
to see how wise he is. He starts by drawing attention to their hypocrisy, saying in verse 24, show me a denarius. Now, perhaps he knew at least one Jew was carrying a denarius, the same coin they claimed to be idolatrous. Or maybe it would take some time for someone to go get one because they wouldn't carry it with them and everyone would have a chance to ponder the purpose of Jesus as they waited in suspense. I tend to think he knew someone had one and probably one of the religious leaders as it's one of the reasons for the money changers in the first place in the temple. You see, they couldn't pay their tithe in this idolater's coin, so they needed to change it out. So can you just for a moment imagine the suspense as someone reaches into their pocket, pulls out the coin, and Jesus asks, whose likeness and inscription is on that coin? And so they respond rightfully, well, it's Caesar's. Notice that unlike the previous interaction he has, he answers their question this time. Verse 25. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God. Piercing clarity. He perfectly shows that they are obligated to give to Caesar the due of his tax, but deny his claim to deity and worship without coming anywhere close to trapping himself. Are you marveling yet at the wisdom of Jesus? It is not his time to go. And being trapped by their craftiness is not how he will go. If you aren't marveling, pay attention to the reaction Luke points out of those who see Jesus' wisdom. In verse 26, he says, marveling at his answer, they were silent. This is why I say that Luke wants us to see Jesus' perfect wisdom to go as it has been determined. The whole scene is focused on this wisdom, avoiding this trap, so that we will marvel at it in the same way. In his book, Four Portraits, One Jesus, Mark Strauss says, As the boy Jesus once impressed Israel's teachers with his spirit-endowed wisdom, so now that same wisdom reveals his messianic authority and exposes the deceit of Israel's leaders. When we study this passage, we do need to wrestle with the teaching of Jesus here. But before we do that, we must come to the place of marveling at Jesus himself. Behold his glory on display through his wisdom. And know, know that he was in complete control as he went to the cross for you. He laid down his life. No one took it from him. He was sinless and spotless. No one could stick a charge to him. Yet in his sovereignty, in his control, in his wisdom, he hung on the cross. He died so that we could have life. 
Who else has wisdom like Jesus Christ? Who else has walked in this world always being perfectly in control of every situation? The answer is no one. Because he's the son of God in the flesh. He is the lamb of God who goes as it has been determined. That's the main thing I believe Luke wants us to see. And I hope that you will marvel at Jesus Christ. But now let's spend some time looking at what the answer by Jesus to their question teaches us. And I would summarize that answer like this. Rightful submission to authority while knowing the true Lord of your life. Focus with me again on the teaching of Jesus in verses 24 and 25. Let's remember their question in verse 22. Is it lawful for us to give tribute to Caesar or not? Jesus' answer, verses 24 and 25. Show me a denarius whose likeness and inscription does it have. And they said, Caesar's. He said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Do you remember how they tried to trap Jesus? They wanted to cause him to either become an insurrectionist against Rome or to be seen as leading the Jewish people away from the worship of God as their true Lord. But he does neither. He answers perfectly. I want to point out a few things to help us determine what this means for us. Notice first the nuance of the phrasing by Jesus in his answer. He says, render to Caesar. And I believe the wording is intentional because the idea, the term, means to give back. Whereas the verb that they used to ask Jesus about the tribute just simply meant to give. So he's saying, give back to Caesar what is his. Second, keep the main point within the question in mind. It's about the tribute. It's about the tax Caesar imposed and the denarius used to pay it. Third, understand how their use of the coins in daily life already showed that they were willingly operating within the economy of Rome. They were enjoying the benefits of Roman society, living within its patterns of life in many other ways, and probably, probably getting some off the top when that money got exchanged. Finally, consider what caused the rule of Rome over Israel in the first place. Church, it wasn't that Rome was more powerful than God to overthrow his rulership. Israel came under the oppression of Rome as a result of God's sovereignty in disciplining them for their failure to live according to his ways. They were not giving to God the things that were God's and became subject to Rome because of it. And when we take all these things in mind, I think they help us to see two aspects of Jesus' teaching here for us to take away. First, is how we all live and exist 
under the governments that oversee and rule any country we find ourselves in. And we are called by God to obey and honor those rulers, giving back to them what is theirs to receive. The Apostle Peter says it very simply in 1 Peter 2.17, where he says, Fear God, honor the emperor. The Apostle Paul adds some depth to this in Romans 13, verses 1 and 2 and 7, where he says, Let everyone, every person, be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Verse 7, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And church, this doesn't just apply to our preferred political parties or the ones that we think are ruling according to God's way. I mean, just think about this. Jesus said this under Roman rule. One of those rulers beheaded the prophet that went before him. The apostles said these things under tyrannies that you and I will never come close to living under. Render to Caesar what is Caesar. That's the first aspect of this teaching by Jesus. Render to governing authorities what is theirs to rightfully receive. But the second aspect is that there are limits to what we render back to Caesar. There is a distinction between the realms of the authority of the rulers on this earth and the ultimate authority of the ruler in heaven. And a distinction between what is owed to each one as a result. The denarius represented the tribute that Caesar demanded and was rightfully owed. But the inscription suggested more than what was rightfully his to receive. There are temporal things, things in this life that we do owe to Caesar. Things like taxes, obedience to laws, participation in voting, respect of authorities, honor. Those things belong to the governments we live under in this world. But there are eternal things like worship, fear of God, Perfect obedience to all his ways, our very lives that we owe only to God. The reality is these don't often come into conflict. And frankly, they rarely come into conflict in the ways we try to make them. But when they do, we always recognize God as the true Lord of man's life. And we give to him first. Charles Ryrie summarizes it well. He says, Christ recognized the distinction between political and spiritual responsibilities. Caesar should be given taxes and all rightful political obedience. God should be given worship, obedience, service, 
and the dedication of one's whole life. Are you living in such a way that you are willingly giving to Caesar the things that are Caesar's? Or do you try to skirt around that command by God that we see here? Are you living in a way that you're avoiding that form of obedience? A more important question, are you truly giving God what is his to receive? Worship, full obedience, service, and your whole life. For 86 years, the second century bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp, lived under the rule of Roman authorities. We can presume as a disciple of the Apostle John that he had learned how to render to Caesar what was Caesar's. Yet at the age 86, Polycarp was ordered to confess that Caesar is Lord. He knew this confession was used to signify divinity by Caesar. And this was not something he could render back to Caesar. So he refused and he was murdered. He would not render to Caesar what belongs to God. And he was martyred for it. Yet the moment after he was murdered, he stood before the God he worshipped and gave his life to, and he entered into the joy of glory forever. Now the chances are we'll never have to make a decision like Polycarp made. But I want us to know as the people of God that we can confidently render to governing authorities what is theirs because we have a trust that God is sovereign over their rule and their reign. However, we should never pledge allegiance or give lordship to anyone other than our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, before we close, I want to draw out one subtle temptation that I think we face in relation to this. And I think it's this. I think we can easily recognize and deny allegiance to rulers who are clearly outside of the will of God or clearly evil. But there is a growing temptation that I see creeping into the church to give allegiance to rulers where it should never be given. Ones who are benevolent or ones who stand for our rights and hold the principles that we do because we have this false confidence that they are somehow God's ruler. Now, don't get me wrong. I know many of us come from democratic countries and it's a privilege to be able to participate in voting in the political arena and we should faithfully. But I want to say, let's be careful to always help those around us see the true Lord of our lives is God. And it's never a ruler of this world. That our hope is in God alone. Let's show this by heeding the commands of Jesus here to give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar's. 
even when it's not our candidate in the place of authority. Let's reveal this to the people around us by a firm and a grounded trust that all authorities are under the sovereign hand of God, by not being driven to fear or despair when anyone is in ruling power. To be sure, it can be hard to learn how to balance, how to render to Caesar what is he Caesar's, but not go too far. We've all experienced this over the last few years as we're trying to weigh these kinds of things. But going back to the main point of this passage, let's remember that we can go to the one who has perfect wisdom. Jesus Christ, and we can trust in him and his control over everything that's taking place. And we can walk in his grace as we learn together how to balance this in our lives. Will you stand with me as I pray this over us? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We do ask that your name would be even greater in our hearts and on our minds than it was when we came in here today. That you'll show us the wisdom of Jesus Christ, the glory of your Son, that you'll give us faith to trust in you. That you'll give us the wisdom we need to balance how to render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to you what is yours. God, I ask as we now worship that we would render our worship to you. That you would receive all glory and honor as we proclaim that you are holy, holy, holy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.